each shop is getting the most out of the product as they can. So, you know, a lot of um, just pulling the data off the machine, kind of, it's like a Fitbit. But machine metrics is a lot more like a personal trainer, where we, we take that data, we help you understand it, we help you make it actionable, and we make sure that it's working for you. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zanger, and this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And I'm here in the studio with my good friend and co-host, Jim Carr. How you doing, Jim? Hey, man. I'm doing well. Thanks. Great. Yeah. It's a Monday. It's a Monday. And it's the Cubs opener. Yes, it is. I know. Well, you know, we're big Cubs fans here in Chicago. I live about a mile away from the stadium. I know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear the fireworks. I know. Wait wait till tonight. The traffic's going to be like crazy by your house. Well, hopefully, I'll be in bed by the time they finish. It's 7.30 playing. p.m. start. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. be in bed in about an Against hour. Against the Dodge. I hope, it, I hope it's not rained out for that matter. But uh, speaking of personal things, what'd you do this weekend, Jason? I don't know. It was your what birthday? What did you oh, do yeah. for what your did, birthday? Oh, you know, you're you're catching up with me, my friend. I, I you know I went I went out to dinner on Friday night and yeah. I had an amazing meal yeah. with some amazing people. Of course and, you did. Um, my my two friends got me like the perfect gifts. Like they each got me a different gift and they got me the the perfect gift. Can you guess what it would be? I don't know, but are you mad that I didn't give you a gift? Um, you know, you, <laughs> slightly you, upset. You could, you could have gotten me a gift. Yeah, no, I have no idea what. What would be a good gift for me? One got me a book. Okay, that is that is a perfect gift. And the other got me a bottle of wine. The wine should come my way and you keep the book. That's more like our... <laughs> How about our... I keep them both because it's my okay, birthday? I know, I know. What kind of book did you get? You want to share that? Uh, sure, it's called A Peculiar Glory. Okay. Spiritual type book? Y- yeah. Good I, for you. Yeah. I know that that that's important to you, and uh, that's uh, ideal. Yeah, because you're always you're always trying to influence me in my reading instead of uh, I, I am. But you don't read. I'm trying to get you to read. If I can only get you to read, you any know, book. I should have been a millennial because I I just don't even like having a holding a book in my hand. I'd rather read everything on a laptop or my phone. I'm gonna or get you. A, like I'm gonna that. get you a book that only has a table of contents, <laughs> and maybe you'll <laughs> that finish that one. <laughs> yeah, that 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 might work. Absolutely. I'm still trying to get through. Um, God. Darn it! What's the name of that book? Traction. Oh, yeah, it's, forget it's, it. It's, wait, I think I, I think the corner of page fifteen is is folded over and it's in my glove compartment in my car. Terrible. I know. I'll get there. I I swear to you. Before I retire, I'll I'll finish reading. Well, that and book. you did you did promise our good friend Ed Brandt that you would read the book that he gave you too. I did. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. You don't. promised him. Don't don't make a promise to man like that and not fulfill. Okay, I will. Get, stay on me for that. But anyway, I wanted to, I wanted to move on. You know how I always. We always bring in a little bit of manufacturing news into the show, and um, and this week um, I I, th- I saw some good things, um, and you know you know I always see these these media. I, I'm sure it's not fake media because this is from CNN Money, but um, U.S. manufacturing jobs at 1940s level, 
And I, you know, they go on to say that there's no denying that hiring and manufacturing has picked up since the election. They're saying Trump is already taking a victory lap for bringing back the muscle jobs. The U.S. did add 26,000 factory jobs in February and 11,000 in March. But it's a contrast to the Obama years when most of the job gains came in the service sector, tech, retail, business, health, et cetera, not in manufacturing. So, you know, we've known this, Jason. In in the two years that we've been recording Making Chips, we've done a lot of manufacturing news articles that says, you know, years ago we needed all that manual labor. So, of course, there was a high level uh, of people working in our industry. And, of course, as we've evolved as an industry, we've uh, and automation has come into play. We don't need as many laborers, we don't, many people. We've got, you know, many more automated systems in place than actual physical laborers. Well, I believe that manufacturing output has exceeded. It's just the GDP. Yes. I, no, I mean like the previous levels. It's just that the jobs right. aren't there. They're like just they talking about the jobs because so of the automation. Can you guess what year? From 1941 to 2017, what year we had the most manufacturing jobs in our in our country? Think about that. 1999. 1979, 20 years earlier. There were 20 million. I knew I wasn't going to be right, though. 20 million active manufacturing jobs now. I actually should have known that because, I mean, yeah, that that would make sense. We only have, in 2017 right now, there's only 13. I was only three years old, so it's hard for that 79 to be relevant. Yeah, I know. Well, I remember my dad, I was a very, very young man. 40 at the time. I wasn't, not quite. I was a very young man, and we had, Car Machine and Tool, had a lot of guys running Bridgeport milling machines and and conventional lays and, and surface grinders in our shop. Well, so, I, I actually, my dad told me stories. So, you know, Zenger is obviously, we're a um, tool and supply company. And my dad told me that during those days, he would literally have people lined up to buy Kennedy toolboxes. Oh, my and just God. Fill, are you kidding? Just fill them up with cutting tools and precision tools. I mean, literally buy a toolbox and just fill it up with like, right at that time, the like $1,000 worth of stuff. Maybe in today's times, it would have been $10,000. Pay cash for it and walk out the door. Line no up to do kidding. that. Yeah, it was serious. He said it was amazing. You know, just new people, you know, be, becoming new apprentices and, and everything. And they would just line up to buy tools. I wonder if we'll ever see anything like that again. Probably not. Probably not. That's disappointing. But anyway, yeah, the the article does go on to say, like we just discussed, that manufacturing output is back, but the jobs aren't. The reality is some of the jobs, once done by human hands, are now being done by robotics. It's evident... In the, in the data, U.S. manufacturing output is at an all-time high, but manufacturing employment remains subdued. So that just goes to testify what we, what we just said. I'm thrilled that manufacturing is still a viable industry in our country. I'd l- of course, I'd love to see it grow. It would only help me and you both. And our guests that we have today, too, I'm sure, would be every, everyone would be smiling. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of other people in the service sector would be smiling too because I think people forget that the more money that the manufacturing brings in creates more disposable income 
so we can take that extra money. We can go out to restaurants. We can go to Cubs games. We can get spend late, money on we, marketing services, on accountants and lawyers, and all and software and all that kind of great stuff. I mean, they're just absolutely. It's, it's called the multiplier effect, and nothing can out multiply manufacturing. It, it, it's a it's, wealth creator. It's a wealth creator. It's but all, and it's always the metalworking nation knows this. I know. So we're not teaching anybody anything about that. They know it, and that's why everybody's on board with you know just us playing our little part to elevate this industry. You bet. Hey Jim, are you taking your team to DMG Mori Innovation Days? Absolutely. I'm seriously looking forward to it. You always preach to me about corporate culture, so I thought it'd be great to bring my employees to Innovation Days to get them excited and pumped up on new innovation. New technology. Industry 4.0. That's the latest buzzword, right? Absolutely. They're definitely going to have some industry experts there talking about Industry 4.0. It seems to be this like word that everybody wants to get in line with, but nobody quite knows what it's all about. So we can learn about it at DMG Innovation Days. It's all about automation and innovation. And DMG really is a leader in innovation and automation. So May 15th through the 18th, Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., DMG Mori Innovation Days. Sign up for free. Register at makingchips.dmgmori.com. Absolutely. It's just a 15 minutes west of uh, Chicago O'Hare, straight down the expressway. Beautiful state-of-the-art facility. And Jim and I are there. Once again, makingchips.dmgmori.com. Cool. So I'm excited to uh, introduce our guest that we have in our studio today. It's it's ironic that I think we... um, Happened to be at the same place in the same time a couple weeks ago, and uh, which was in Amelia Island, Florida. It was great that I got to to share a little one on one time with this guy uh, and learn more in depth about his product and what he's going to talk about today on the show. He's really a, a dynamic guy, and I think he's got something that is very, very powerful to our industry and can really help out a lot of shops. His name is Eric Fogg, and he is the co-founder and partner at Machine Metrics based in North Hampton, Massachusetts. He started as a CNC machinist, just like me, and identified an area in the throughput process that he believes can significantly help increase spindle uptime through a machine monitoring system. Eric is here today to tell his story and share with us the benefits of the system. He's traveled all the way from Boston, Boston, Mass, this morning and uh, to share his story, and uh, I'm really excited to have you with us today. Uh, we had great synergy in Florida on the phone on Friday, and uh, welcome, Eric. It's great to have you here today. Yeah, welcome, Eric. Thanks, guys, for having me. No problem. So, um, Eric, just share with us, you know, way back when, when you were a CNC machinist, and you had this aha moment about bringing this particular product to fruition and and the ideas that you know you had so the aha moment i i remember it distinctly i was working at my machine and my boss came downstairs and he had in his hands no kidding a cardboard box and a roll of shipping tape and he said i need to ship 400 of gizmo number 4 right now we're already a week late. and Right I, now. Right now. Right now. Yeah, this was like 4 o'clock. You know, like some people had already gone home. Yeah. I was just packing up some boxes, whatever. And uh, I said, well, we've got 60 of them over there on the shelf because that's all we had done. 
And I just remember the look on his face of just, you know, why? He just looked at me and said, why? And I realized in that moment that if I had given him the top 10 reasons why we were so far behind on that job, it wouldn't have constituted 10% of why we were behind. Because just the life of a machinist and part of this business and just the way it is, there were a thousand things that happened, all little individual things that together made it that we were so far behind. And I just thought it was amazing that it wasn't a very big job shop, 25, 30 employees, 15, 20 machines, something like that, mostly aerospace work, that the people upstairs didn't know what was going on on the shop floor, oftentimes until it was time to ship something. Was the date, the due date on your print that particular day? I think so. I, I can't really remember. I think it was one of those things where we had like lots of orders to ship. You know, we were supposed to ship it like every two weeks. We were supposed to ship a certain quantity and we didn't stick to the schedule. Um, oh, okay. So, so then Because I, I always say to my machinist, like, I'm like, well, the delivery date is on the print. You're, you're reading plus or minus a half a thousandth of an inch and you can't read the delivery date is due that day. So I, when you told me this story in Florida, I'm like, oh my God, I can totally understand what your boss is saying. We need to ship 400 pieces today. How many got done? And you guys say 60. You know, it's like, what, what are we going to do with this? So so go ahead. Continue the story because it's, it's, it's kind of sweet. Yeah. So I gave him some excuses because I felt like I had to. I told him that uh, the second shift had some problems and uh, there were some issues with some heat lots on some of the materials and there was a boring bar that I was chasing. And you know, those things were true, but it was just kind of, they were just excuses. And uh, I think he knew, but he had no way to to dive deeper into what was going on. And he just kind of turned around and went up back to his office to go eat crow with a customer, which later in my life, uh, you know, eight, 10 years later, I learned what it was like to call a customer and tell them they weren't going to get their order. Exactly. It's uh, painful. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. So fast forward to machine metrics and what did you learn from that scenario and how did you translate it into the model for machine metrics to help to help mitigate this problem? And I, I believe the problem that, that from based on talking to you is the upstairs, the front office has no clue what's going on in the shop, and there's no communication back and forth. So is that what you realized at that time, or? Yeah, I mean, what I, what I really realized was the only data that ever gets recorded in a shop is what you load into the ERP system, um, which requires everybody to participate. It requires everybody to load everything in. And even then, there's so much data that doesn't get recorded. And, you know, as a, as a five-axis programmer that, you know, was really getting into automation at the time, I knew how many millions of pieces of data there were to be had on the shop floor. And I thought there must be some way to collect this and display it in a way that's useful. Right, right. Well, how did you take that thought and, 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 and bring it to Did you have some kind of IT knowledge or any kind of history with collecting data and, and, and bringing it through to, to a solution-based software system? It, it kind of started off. I was 
um, pulling like vibrational data and things like that off of the there machine. There we go. We know all about that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of the, still the holy grail. Um, but as newer controls started to come out, you know, I, I learned there were a lot of really easy ways to get data off of machines. Um, so started experimenting with those uh, Fanuc controls. There's a very easy way to get data off of machines. Siemens controls, Heidenhain. You know, going back into the early 2000s, it's mostly plug and play. Um, and then MT Connect, which is right. you know somewhat more recent, um, you know, player. So you're game. saying a machine tool prior to 2000 or 2003 has a hard time connecting um, data output harder. Harder, yeah. yeah. It's it's not just an Ethernet cable, and you make some tweaks to the you know to the control set an IP address, something like that, you know, it's usually either get data over serial or wire something up into the machine's wiring, which isn't that hard to do. We, we do it all the time. About half of the machines we're connected to uh, are older machines that, that we can't just get Ethernet data off of. So, so how do you go about collecting the data? And, and what, why don't you explain to the Metalworking Nation what information you're pulling in, what is relevant, and and why? And then, of course, once we do it, how is it going to help the the user save money, save time, which is effectively right. going to save money? Yeah. It, I mean, the amount of data that we collect can vary a lot by machine. Some machines we just get, is it in cycle? Is it an alarm? Has it made a part? And some machines we get data all the way down to the temperatures of the motors, uh, its execution state exact error codes, things like that. So it, it can run the gambit from four pieces of data to hundreds of pieces of data coming off of the machine. But the thing that we really strive for at Machine Metrics is there's there's all this data, but at the end of the day, we're trying to provide useful data to everyone, people on the shop floor, to management. So we ask the questions of our customers, You know, what is the thing that you want to see on a dashboard, in a chart, in a graph? What is it that you're after? And I, and I would assume that 90% of the time, the machinists want a certain thing and management wants a certain thing. And it's probably very kind of, I would, I would say, standard. Yeah, yeah. So management wants to know, is the job running on time? That is, the, are the tools being utilized? And the machinists and the guys on the shop floor want to be able to efficiently communicate all of that stuff that's going on that's making their lives hard up to management. So Right, because, I mean, let's face it. Management just wants to see the machine, the spindle running, and we're making chips. Because if you're right. not making chips, you're not making money. Yeah, they want to see those 400 parts out the door. a mantra around here. Right, it is. <laughs> but yet, the machinist, the guy that's actually making sure that spindle's running, wants to prove to his boss he needs validation that it's not his fault. He doesn't want to put the blame on him that he's not making the parts. It's because this, 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 this. So what I believe you're trying to say is... The information that you can collect off the machine tool will not necessarily give an excuse, but will validate what the machinist is saying, that a tool broke, the coolant went out, the motor overheated, there was too much, there was extra programming involved. Exactly. Can you share with that? Yeah, yeah. We've got so many great stories from our customers. Share one. I love love success stories. One story was our very first customer we hooked up. They had a, a machining cell where they were using cheap Chinesium drill bits because they were $2 a piece 
or something, and they broke a lot. But the that makes me <laughs> saying nuts. this to a tooling guy, <laughs> no, exactly. Um, <laughs> but the uh, you know the the good quality uh, you know carbide bit was fifty bucks or something. So right? It's like why why would you buy that exactly. when you can get them for two bucks and the two dollar one lasts a quarter as long half as long or whatever it doesn't right and then not meet your production schedules and you know irritate your customers right and irritate the the machinist because he's got to pull the tool out he's got to set it off he's got to touch the tool off again yeah but here's what we found out happens is the tool breaks and that machinist then is goes over to the tool crib pulls a new one ideally they go back to the machine they put it in and start the machine but that's not what happens they go over to the tool crib and then someone's like, oh, hey, Jim, can you come over here and help me with, with this problem I'm having on this machine over here? I ca- I'm so you- having a problem holding the tolerance on this right, overall yeah. length. Or I broke a drill bit over here or a tool or something. And- yeah, we're all using Chinese drills. <laughs> right, we're all using Chinese <laughs> drill bits. No, I heard you have a 625 end mill in your toolbox that you're saving for a rainy day, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, so then they go over and they help that person, and then they get sidetracked someplace else, and then maybe it's like, you know, go grab a soda, and then put it into the machine. And that just started happening every time. So instead of the tool bit, you know, breaking and there being a five or 10 minute downtime, oftentimes it would be an hour or two, which sounds totally crazy. But when you look at the data, you can't argue with the data that that's what was happening. And the owner realized that. And this this cell, this particular job had been running for years on these machines. And they realized that you know, it would be way better to buy the best drill bit because that $2 is nothing compared to lost machine downtime, the time for, you know, you're paying the, the operator, the down productivity, the showing up Friday afternoon and the parts aren't done enough to ship. You know, all all of those things happen just because of what happens when an operator goes to change a tool. Exactly. And then kind of the flip side of that with machine metrics is when we have our dashboards on the shop floor, all of the operators know how their machines are doing versus their goals and expectations. And why, so, Eric, why don't you stop right there and kind of explain what the dashboard is. So okay. now I want, now that we know why we're going to be using machine metrics, I want kind of build in our head a visual of what, what the guy in the office is using versus what they're seeing in the shop. Yeah, so there's a couple kind of governing principles that we decided on when we built these dashboards. Um, one of them is we always just tell people if you're if you're just out with a bunch of friends shooting hoops and just it's fun, but then you decide to play a game of two v two, and all of a sudden the game gets way more intense. Everyone's working harder, and uh, what was what was different? You started keeping score. So right. we're trying to come up with a way with a dashboard that's a scoreboard that's very easy for anybody in a plant or in the manufacturing process to see where they're at. And the other guiding principle is we just kind of say it's a five second rule is that anybody should be able to glance at the dashboard and within five seconds have the information they need to do their jobs or to fix a problem. So we pull the data directly from the machines, whether it's from the controller, from a device we add to the machine. Mm -hmm. We process all of that data in the cloud. And then we develop, we have these cloud dashboards that are accessible from any internet connected device. So you can access so it is it. fully it's fully cloud based, right? Fully cloud based, okay. so you can access it, uh, you know, from your boat, on your cell phone, the beach, on a tablet, from the beach, wherever. Um, you can 
you can monitor the status of, of your shot. Um, you could also silence it so you can keep your sanity. We have tons of reports, analytics that all get generated on the cloud. It's infinitely scalable and we're constantly improving the product. I think that's really the, the, the thing that you get with a cloud-based software system, whether it's machine monitoring or anything else, is that it's a dynamic product and it's not a static product. We're updating our software a couple times a day sometimes. Really? really bug fixes, new features, things like that. When we update our software, the user, there's, there's nothing they have to do. They just, it starts working, their new features are there, there's nothing to install, there's no IT infrastructure to manage on site. It's just plug in the machines, hook them up to the internet, you're monitoring them. Everything else happens off-site. That's great. So, Eric, uh, tell us a little bit about. I mean, I, I I've seen I've seen your dashboard, and it seems really easy to understand. The navigation is fluid. It's. I mean, you could get a high school kid that doesn't have any idea on what it is, and you can, like you said, it's red light, green light. Yep. And it shows right then and there how many times that machine's gone down, how long it's been. The spindle's not been running. Why don't Why don't you give us a little bit about what analytics a shop owner is going to see when they look at that dashboard from their office PC? Or yeah, from- what, what are the top five uh, data points, and like how do you, how do most people want to visually see that? And what do people really care about? Yeah, well, that's the that's the key question, right? Because <laughs> right. if you're getting motor temperatures off of the machine, it's like, well, who cares? Wah, you wah, know? Wah. Yeah, and. Uh, kind of our mantra I is... I love motor temperatures. <laughs> and if you do... <laughs> I want a whole dashboard just full of motor temperatures. temperatures. Yeah. It's yeah. totally customizable. There's, and there's some people within, within some plants that that's what they want to see. I stare at motor temperatures all day long. Yeah, they want to know what's going on with that, you know, the technical specs of that machine tool that's available for them. But what we really concentrate is at the end of the day, what does a machine shop want to know? Are we making money or not? Exactly. So the... The main dashboard we've kind of built to just show you that. If the dashboard is green, if the tiles for all of your machines are green, then you're making money. And if they're red, you're not. Is it like Um, your efficiency? Yeah. So what we really focus on is production. So either number of parts or number of linear feet or number of hours of, you know, cutting time. That's kind of our main metric. So... Our system is just tracking the promises that you make to yourself. Like that, Principally, that's what we're tracking. So if you say, I want, even though the machine can make 50 parts a day, I want to make 25. If, I'm making, if this machine is making 25 parts a day, then I'm making money. So that's what our dashboard's going to track is out of 25 parts, how many have you made today? At this point in time, you should have made 13. You've made six. So just an hour into your shift, you know exactly how things are going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of the, the flip side of the story, the original story with my boss and me kind of just giving him a bunch of excuses is that at this particular shop, and, and I've heard, I've, I've found that a lot of machine shops, they get a little bit of a scapegoat environment that goes on or just a little bit of a, you know, um, because the data transparency isn't there, it's hard to figure out where the problems are. So it's the blame just kind of floats around. But what we've found with machine metrics is that as soon as a machine falls behind its goals, that tile turns goes from green, it turns to orange. 
a text or an email gets sent out to a, a cell supervisor, a shop floor supervisor, whoever, and that person goes to that machinist or that machine operator, whoever it may be, and says, hey, I see you've fallen behind a little bit. What's going on? So the conversation changes from on a Friday from, oh no, we're not going to, I'm going to have to eat crow with my customer. We're not going to, you know, make this shipment to, hey, how can we let's help? Let's work together as a team to, it's, let's be proactive yeah, rather right. than react. Yeah, we all that's have that desire exactly, to that together. That's exactly it, Jim. The machine monitoring, this system takes a shop from being reactive to being proactive. Yes, and that's exactly. the biggest point of ROI is... Because now instead of kind of that scapegoaty environment, when that supervisor comes over and says, hey, what's going on? How can we help? This isn't a problem yet. This is only, this machine's only been behind for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, we're not, not 20 we're, hours, not 20 hours or 20 days. It's been 20 minutes and something's up. So let's, let's fix it. And you can establish, is it a training issue? Is it a machine issue? Is it a tooling issue? Um, is the operator texting too much? It could be any of those things. Um, <laughs> but... What we found I'm is totally that totally <laughs> here. I mean, I'm, yeah. I am so aligned with what you're saying. I can't it, believe it. It could be any of the above. Yeah, but what we've really found is that most employees really do want to do a good job, and so once the system's in place, when their tile turns orange, they know someone's going to be coming to talk to them. And instead of and the, and all the data transparency is there, someone's going to know you know exactly what was going on. If there was an alarm on the machine, if the bar feeder broke, whatever it may be, all that information is recorded in the system. So you can't really kind of excuse your way out of whatever is going on. But what really amazed me is that the operators start thinking of, as soon as they know they're falling behind, they start thinking of, well, what's my idea for a solution? So when that supervisor Uh comes by and says, how can we help? Instead of an excuse, they get, you know, hey, I've really had a lot of problems with this particular tool Maybe we should talk about getting a different one. Or we've even found so many amazing stories of an operator that'll see the transparency, find a problem, do research on their own, and say to their boss, you know, I really think that we should purchase this new thing. Right. And Well, you're imp- empowering the employee exactly. to find a solution. And it just, what it happens is I think the more, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you've seen these systems in place already, but they're probably resistant at the beginning. But yeah. as they start working with the system, they're finally going to r- realize that this is a powerful way to empower the employee to make sure they're going to find solutions rather than getting everybody involved. Absolutely. You know? It, I was, you know, as somebody who started off, washing parts and worked my way up through running machines and um, in shops myself, I was kind of worried. Like, am I, am I creating something that's going to make their life really hard? Like, I don't know if I want that on my conscience that I'm like, you know, making machine operators and machinists life hard. So I was really happy to see that that, They do. They're resistant at first. The yep. first couple of weeks, is, hey, here's another thing to deal with. This seems kind of big brother. But almost all the time, they love it after a few weeks or a month because they realize they have this amazing way to communicate all of the things that are a problem for them up the proper channels so that those problems get solved. And they really feel like they're part of something. 
Well, okay. if if you have a good culture and you know you're aligned with you know what's the goal, it's it's going to be great for it to have that common data and say, hey, we're both trying to achieve these 400 parts a day, and these are the barriers that I have to achieving that. Absolutely, absolutely. So let let's get let's give some metrics because I'm sure the people the the manufacturing leaders out there right now that are hearing this want 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 some hard numbers like what it. it if you were to um, implement machine metrics in a particular shop of twenty machine tools, what could you, what do you see on average as far as productivity increase? What what what's typical, and how long is it going to take to get that? It's it's a really interesting question. And when we started this company, we thought we knew that there was just like one answer to it, right? Like, oh yeah, you got we our customers get around twenty percent. So that's my answer. But what we really, the more we've done this and the more customers we have, I've been amazed how every time we meet and talk with a customer up front and we think we know how they're going to get benefit from the software, after they've been running it for six months, it was something that nobody expected was going to be the benefit. So, you know, from a Swiss shop to an aerospace job shop uh, to a plastics injection molding shop to a stamping shop, the ways that they get benefit from the product vary a lot. But I can say that one example, a Swiss shop that we worked with, they tracked their productivity with our system, but without adding any transparency. So they didn't put any of the dashboards on the floor. They didn't well, put they did not. tablets on the machines. Uh, we have a system that you can put a tablet on a machine right. and the operator can kind of add context and categorize downtime and things like that. So they didn't do any of that for a while so they could get a baseline so they could kind of see as they were running what was their efficiency and then they put all of that stuff out and they ran for a year and their cto ran a report at the end of the year and uh you know i partially think that his plan was at the end of the year he was going to run this report and tell us like you know it's just not it's not obvious that it's making you know huge gains but what he found was a 17% productivity wow. increase. And just this in is the a, awareness. Yeah, just, I mean, there's, there's so many ways that they got that. But that 17% across their 40 Swiss machines at $60 per hour, you know, billing rate for a Swiss machine, right. you can enter in whatever number you want, came out to about a million and a half dollars of saved money through increased utilization on the machines. It's actually more made money. And there were machines, they were planning on purchasing two machines that year to make up for that, you know, that lack util- of productivity. Right. That they didn't have to buy because they, they got that utilization on their existing equipment. So um, that's one way. But there's, there's a lot of ways. And another really simple story of how customers of ours have gotten benefit. Uh, one of our shops, they just weren't meeting their parts goals at the end of the day and they weren't sure why and what was happening was they were expecting 12 parts per hour and that operator would come in and he would you know clean out his machine and clean out the chips and maybe go make a coffee so it'd be like an hour before he got the spindle running touch off some tools and things like that yeah exactly and um so when we put our system in it was he made you know 
one part the first hour and three parts the next hour and six parts the next hour after that. And then it was 12, 12, 12 for the rest of the day. And we put our dashboard out on the floor. Nobody talked to that operator. He just saw the dashboard and saw what his expectations were. And he changed his behavior. He would start the machine and cycle, go get his coffee, start a cycle, you know, do the do all the little chores. So the next day after we put our dashboard up, day two. it was day two, 12 parts first hour, 12 parts second hour, 12 parts third hour. That's great. And, you know, it's those sorts of things that just, they get... It's 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 all about them. accountability. Yeah, you know, it's it's just making them accountable for what their what their output has got to be. Yeah, and it just it, it allows operators to self manage, right? So another thing we talked about that I think is just great is you know who is the right shop? What what's the right shop for this system? I mean, I, I can't imagine it's right for all shops. And you had mentioned kind of. Um, a story about a Fitbit. So why don't you go ahead and share that with uh, the Metal Working Nation about the, about the Fitbit? <laughs> well, thanks for that cue. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we don't work with just any shop. We try to kind of vet our, our shops a little bit to make sure that our product will be successful. We don't want to waste people's time by sending them down a road where maybe it's not perfect for them. So we really look for shops that are making investments in technology and are proactive about growing their business through trying new things, through technology, through buying new equipment, things like that. So that's that's what we really look for um, because our, our system is more than just giving you what's going on, you know, giving you data on what's going on with your machine. It's kind of more of a, a holistic process that comes along with it. And one of our big differentiators is that we have full-time customer success managers that it's their job to make sure that each shop is getting the most out of the product as they can. So, you know, a lot of um, just pulling the data off the machine, we kind of, it's like a Fitbit. But machine metrics is a lot more like a personal trainer where we, we take that data, we help you understand it, we help you make it actionable, and we make sure that it's working for you. That's a great analogy, and I totally got that when you, and it really resonated with me the other day when when you made that comparison. I I totally made it. You know, a lot of people get the Fitbit on their hand, and they think that they're just going to be, you know, lose 50 pounds overnight, and they're going to be, you know, rocking on the beach by summer. And at the end of the day, you know, there's really no accountability to a Fitbit. But at the end of the day, the machine metrics, that's hard data. Everyone's cognizant of what's going on. You know, um, every, everyone knows it's, it's completely transparent, all of the things that are happening in that shop. Um, so what, what exactly do those um, customer success managers do? It varies a lot from helping customers understand the data, simple things like just how to run certain reports or make certain integrations with other software ERP systems and things like that work all the way down to giving them advice on our customer success managers come from a background of lean and a background of six Sigma, things like that. Those are the kind of people we hire for those positions and they've gotten really good at helping machine shops excel with machine monitoring. So even if it's changing your process things like that you know our our man our customer success managers will help 
get those things going and just share a lot of these stories that we found with Sharing other shops. Best practices. That's, that's a lot of what it is, is it's just we see something going on in the data and we say, hey, you know, we saw another customer that had that same exact thing happen and here's what they did to fix it with the data. And as we grow and as the company grows and has more customers, there's more and more of those stories. It's, it's really fascinating to watch and see how, how customers are, are using it. Great. Just before we wrap it up, I've got one last question. I don't know if you do, Jason, but um, you, know, you know, I own a, a smaller machine shop. We have about eight CNC machines in my shop. How can we take the machine metrics system and implement it into my shop and make it profitable and proactive and get an ROI on it? Um, we do low volume, close tolerance, multi-axis machining. I think that it's strictly just for production shops like Swiss shops, people that are running thousands and thousands, even millions of parts. So tell me how I can try, because I know you shared this with me again, but I, I think it's important to share with the Metalworking Nation. Yeah, I think for low volume shops, it's more just tracking the utilization of the tool. Because even though you're not kicking out a zillion parts, you still want those machines to be running as much as possible, or at least during your active shifts. Right. So it allows you to just track it. If you want that machine to be running 50% of the time, a lot of times for a low-volume shop, 50% utilization is world-class. So that's kind of the first question to ask, is what utilization is world-class for the type of work that you're doing? Mm -hmm. Are you there? And what goals should you set for yourself to get you there? And the software will tell you exactly what your utilization is. But we've, we've found that when we go into low-volume shops, we, we like to go around and say, what do you think your utilization is on these machines? And uh, I always write mm -hmm. it down. You know, they'll say, oh, 70% on this machine and 50, you know 60% on this machine. And sometimes it's as drastic as the machine that they thought was 70% is 20%. And uh, it's it's really shocking sometimes to see you know, how much your machines really aren't running. So another great advantage for a low-volume shop is just to track the process. Oftentimes, they're longer, uh, longer cycle times and things like that. You're not going to have somebody babysitting the machine all the time. Maybe they're running a couple machines. Maybe they need to run out and do something they'll be able to keep track of that machine on their phone. And right. uh, that's the thing that a lot of our low-volume shops like is guys will start the machine in a, in a cycle and they'll go off and do something else. But as soon as that machine goes out of cycle, they can run back to it and, and get it back running again. It's not, you know, they walk past the machine two hours later and it's stopped because it's got a broken tool or something and that's all lost time. Sure. So from what I understand, um, and it's great that you shared with us uh, just a couple days ago before you showed up today, um, that Machine Metrics is offering a three-month guaranteed money-back return. If you implement a system into one shop, they've got three months to say yay or nay to whether or not they want to do that. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll kind of talk together and evaluate if the system's a good fit. We've gotten pretty good at understanding shops that are a good fit. And uh, if we think that it's a good fit and you think it's a good fit, then yeah, we've got a, it's a, a three-month money-back guarantee. So we'll install the system in your shop. If after three months you feel like you're not getting your money's worth out of it or you're not getting any advantage out wow. of it, then we'll refund you all of your money. That's powerful. 
And even better yet, from what I understand that you had mentioned on Friday, is you're offering a special 10% discount exclusively to the Making Chips metalworking community that is listening to the show. If they go to machinemetrics.com forward slash making chips, they can sign up there and get a 10% discount. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's great. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. I'd be on that right away. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let my operations manager know about that. Yeah, what's holding you back? Do it. I Guaranteed. Know. I don't know. It is guaranteed. There's nothing better than that, right? The, question, the only question is, are you the right company? Uh, Eric's going to have to vet me. That's that's the whole <laughs> thing. But uh, hopefully I can make it work. And based on what I've talked to him about ready, I think that um, I think I am. So... Eric, what a pleasure to have you in our studio today. Thank you for traveling all this way and uh, coming to Chicago. I hope we can get uh, some good Chicago food tonight and uh, and and, sh- and break bread together. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Eric. thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. Thanks, we appreciate thank you. your support, man. Yeah, so I mean that was great, Jim. I I learned a lot about machine monitoring. I mean, I actually did not know a lot about this until uh, this episode of Making Chips. So th- that was really great to hear from Eric from Machine Metrics, and um, I think that every shop out there really should look into this. I mean, it's it's a no brainer as far as I'm concerned. Quite honestly, I, I really think, and you know, we always talk about. Um, new technologies and innovation in our industry. And I think this is a ripe example of what we can do as business owners, just because, you know, let's face it, our, it's getting mu- so much more competitive nowadays in our industries. Um, we need to put these type of solutions. Yeah, you got to you got to go for every tool in the toolbox. Yes. You know, everything you you, you don't want do to buy that $2 your cheap China-made drill because no. let me tell you, that that 2 bucks you spent on that drill that you thought you were going to save money on is going to cost you 10 times more than what it would cost. Absolutely. To buy. And you and you can't, you know, you can't monitor your machines just on your intuition anymore. You, you know what I mean? You got to go beyond that. You got to use the data and 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 the new tools that are out there to help you. Yeah. Well, before we break, I just want to uh, share with the Metalworking Nation, we've got a new marketing series this entire year with uh, Julie Poulos from Red Caffeine. Every month, she's going to be sharing a little bit of insight as to what kind of marketing tips she can offer the Metalworking Nation and just help them grow and make better decisions with regards from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, again, you can't just keep doing the same thing that you did in the past. You got to you got to step it up in your marketing too. Got to go out of your comfort zone. You got to make changes. I know it's tough, but uh, that's that's it. Again, too, you know, we're talking about the reboot of the Make and Elevate Leadership series. So, coming soon, we're we're going to be revising that and we've gotten a lot of great inquiries from some great people across the country to uh, reboot that mastermind series. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we kind of learned from, from the past and we're going we're gonna to do it better this, this next time. I'm excited about that. And the other thing too is uh, if, if they want to reach out to us, they certainly can. Let us know how we're doing. We love to hear feedback. We, we love the support that you all give us. And you know, I'd love getting that email or that phone call, 312-725-0245. And don't forget about the Making Chips TV, YouTube, video series. You get to see Jim's beautiful face. That's right. Absolutely. With my gray beard. 
But um, I learned from you. I haven't yeah. watched the video, the Making Chips TV video yet, but I learned from your experience. I mean, you explained it to me, like the speech that you were going to do for that manufacturing conference. And I'm going to I'm going to use that. I'm going to make that pitch to um, to my family for our business succession. That's awesome. I, you know, <laughs> boy, when I think back in 2004, when I was doing it, I didn't think it made it, you know, didn't have any motion to it. But uh, at the end of the day, I guess it's uh, it's knowledge that anyone can use. So and like my dad always said, and it's pretty relevant to why Eric was here today. If you're not making chips, you're not making making money. money. Bam, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. We're, we're doing our our post our, our outro out, our outro right now. <laughs> so, so I should shut up. No, pretty much. <laughs> what do I want to say? Shit! I have no idea what you're trying to say. <laughs> what does my dad always say? Is that really how we're going to end this? Yeah, <laughs> we really are. Oh my goodness. Bam. I don't know what you No, we got to do a little bit better. We got to do better than that. Better than that. <laughs>